All right, folks, welcome back. Sorry for the delay. Um, you don't get to know now because you're not if you're not a Patreon subscriber, I told you why. Yep. You have to uh, give us money to find out about John's very personal life. <laughs> very personal life. Uh, yeah, no, that'll be good. Yeah. That's I, I, the kind of stuff you get. Mm-hmm. Give us mm-hmm. money. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're back. And uh, before we get into today's episode, we have some RIPs to address. Um, the first one... We're a little late now because life's been crazy, but Kenneth Anger, of course, who I honestly thought maybe would never die. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, shout out to one of the gnarliest human beings that ever uh, decided to share their heart with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that dude was a, he was a rough-ass human being in a lot of incredible ways and a lot of terrible ways, and I am thankful for all of it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we don't need to go down the the resume of why he was so incredible and why he mattered so much. But, you know, just watch all those fucking movies again. Even if he hadn't died, you should always be revisiting Kenneth Anger movies. They only they're only good for everyone who experiences them every time. So absolutely. And they're not that long. Not that long. And they're fucking so exciting. Truly the exact opposite of a boring filmmaker in every way so it's easy um to get in there yeah yeah Yeah. r.i.p who else is dead oh we got tina turner while during our break um she is rolling down that river the the celestial river right now yep who you know anytime she was in a movie was a gift but my favorite will always be tommy of course because she's just like such an unhinged fucking maniac in that movie and it's it's beautiful to behold what is she like the acid queen or yeah it's something like that yeah, some sort of that. queen but well she's queen of the world <laughs> let's just oh, call she's a queen she's <laughs> yeah and of yeah. course beyond thunderdome you know i've only heard of one dope queen and that was tina turner <laughs> that's right yeah right um and then the other I mean, I'm sure there's more we missed, but Jacques Rosier, um, who very recent, yeah, still one of the he's actually one of the only left. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but of everyone that was involved in the French New Wave, he is one of the only one who's left who still really doesn't get any attention. Um, oh, he gets zero attention. I mean, he's yeah. never really gotten attention outside of like the new Cahiers du Cinema. Uh, like books that they've published that are impossible to find unless you go to the University of Chicago. I mean, like, the, yeah. like you know, he's not uh, he's not a household name, which is a shame because uh, Rosier is one of the one of the greatest. Yeah, um, and he's also very accessible. Um, oh, extremely accessible. Would heavy recommend if you haven't watched any, starting with uh, Adieu Philippine. That movie is just pure delight. In all the like new wave ways that you want, if you're in the wave or in the mood for like a new, a breezy new wave movie that's also dense, if you want it to be, that movie's perfect. Yeah, that one's like, I mean, that one's just the lot. Yeah, it's the lost new wave film you were like, yeah, you, you've been looking for. It's so fucking cool. And he also made, I never know how to pronounce it, but one of the yeah. best French TV shows, um, Cinestis de Notre Temps. <laughs> Yep. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, where lots of new wave people got to make television movies about things they wanted to. He was good buddies with Jean Vigo and made an amazing 
Yeah, so good. About Jean Vigo. Um, so, you know, check that shit out for sure. Yes, yes. He and Rivette did the best ones. He was Jean Vigo and Rivette with his multi part uh, Jean Renoir. Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, shout and out to Claire Denis with her Rivette. As oh, we, oh God, of course. The, the most, uh, yeah, Serge Denis, one of the great, uh, one of the best ever. Damn. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about rewatching that the other day just because I, Nothing I love seeing those two walk up the street visiting spots from Out One and the Pont de Nord. Oh, it's just it's beautiful. It's um, so the other Rosier I want to shout out. Um, and I I just I cannot obviously with Taika Watiti, I just learned how to say that. <laughs> so I'm not trying to be offensive to the <laughs> <laughs> but uh du Cote de Orut Orut. Yeah, perfect. Three-hour movie about some chicks hanging out on a dock. It's great. So, so sick. The summer movie that Romare did not make. Yep. Yeah. And, one of the, and I will say, nobody... When we're talking about French hangout movies, obviously nobody fucks with Romare. Uh, but if someone came close, it's that movie. Yeah, it's very close. I mean, it uh, doubles the length of a Romare and uh in many ways kind of like doubles the complexity yeah. and that's where that's one of the most complex dudes out there but uh yeah nothing more can really be uh said about what is definitely the last guy of the french new wave yep who's that who else is there <laughs> yeah everybody else gets there has had at least or at least has started to have their day um but he is not so hopefully that will be the positive coming from him departing us is that yeah. people will give it a shot. And I mean, you know, the what the good thing about how quickly um Criterion tries to stay cool these days is that we probably will have a, you know, all his movies streaming for the first time on that channel soon. So that's I'm good. Sure. Hey, that's good. fine. That works for us. Go yep. see it. Cause uh You've definitely not seen his movies. He's least known. Well, not maybe. Well, I guess do we count Garel? I guess he's kind of post. He's more known though. But I'm just saying he's alive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but he's like not really like. And he's not really because he even he was even a little bit too hoity-toity for those for that crew. Often. Yeah, he ran with that Zanzibar crew, but like they yeah. were. But that's that's very like their cinema really only comes together like post sixty eight. So yeah. So I mean, I guess if if anyone did call, if there was a post, a post French New Wave, it would just be the Zanzibar movies. Well, not just because they made lots of movies not as Zanzibar, but you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. anyway, so um, so he's dead. I think that's all. I think there was one, on. but was there somebody else? Let's say there was one. Well, let me just Google recent deaths. What will that get me? <laughs> My favorite when you do things like that, like the, just the the wording of how sick humans are uh, when it says like recent notable deaths, <laughs> you know, because you have to like <laughs> just I, I love our world of idolatry. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Yep. Uh, oh, um. I don't know if we've been gone since. We didn't say anything about Jerry Springer. So I forgot. Shit, that's right. Shout out the ringmaster himself. Yep. Technically a movie star, Jim Brown. 
Oh, that's right. Oh, Jim Brown was fucking sick. Yeah, not only a great footballer, but a, a not bad actor. So you're good. Yeah, well, RIP, miss him. Yep. Another one, the one opportunity I had to meet Kenneth Anger, I think wisely in retrospect, but I was so deeply terrified <laughs> by how intense and aggressive his presence was that I did elected to not meet him. There's something to be said about meeting your heroes. I mean, I've I I normally I I go against that pretty hard most of the time because I've been very lucky to get to meet a lot of people I would call heroes. And it has only been wonderful, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Cause the, the people who sucked that I met, I thought they sucked before I met them. And then I just felt better that my perception was correct after I met them and they sucked like Christopher Nolan. He was just a fucking chode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've honored uh, the living and the dead now, yeah, <laughs> let's, uh, let's do it is is it what i think it is today will it is it's highs and lows time oh my god it's been so long yep we're gonna talk about our double build that uh this will come out today so that tomorrow is playing uh you better get this and they're gonna start coming out before the day before but you know anyway here we are no one Uh, predicted what happened could have no one could have possibly predicted it except a doctor. So, um, <laughs> but we don't hang with doctors. Um, no, no. So no one told us. But we're going to talk about the mask and the face of another. Um, this one has a good lineage in the the roots of highs and lows. When this series was happening the first time under the banner of the Mall, uh, our buddy Mike Perry in Los Angeles, when he still lived out there, uh, we did the mask and eyes without a face together um which was really good it went really well people really responded to it that was a popular one uh but when we talked about the idea if we were going to repeat any doubles that we've ever done initially we thought we would but then we got to talking and we were like why don't we see if we can actually stir it up and maybe repeat some some of the movies but never a full double and um Thusly, we landed at the face of another, which I think is a not that eyes without a face doesn't have a lot to offer in conversation with the mask, but I think the face of another has a lot more um, to offer if you really want to dig into it, which is what we're going to do. Yeah, I it really it does have more, um, even though face of another. Well, it makes more sense than what some of you like to suggest on the music box Instagram, like uh, <laughs> the mask with the mask with mask by Peter Bogdan. Think hard about why that wouldn't work <laughs> and think how bad it doesn't make any sense and then just leave it to us. We know not, I, it made me wonder how recently that person had watched Bogdanovich's mask um, because that that's. It's not the same, actually. Uh, There's no mask in that one. It's a deformed kid. Yep. It's someone who uh, was born with quite an affliction. And uh, neither of these movies are about that at all, actually. In in any way. In any way, shape or form. They are about literal masks. So... It's okay. It'd just be nice to see our posts be like someone be like, that's cool. 
instead of like, can you do this? You know what would be cool is if you did this. <laughs> but hey, you know, engagement counts as positive, so we'll take it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, you know what is going to happen though, and we can we can announce it here. Um, oh, also, don't forget to send that to Kyle later today, and I'll send the images so we can get it up on the site. Which but we can announce our next our next uh, double bill. Yeah. It'll be up on the website later, probably by the time this episode goes live. Yep. And, uh, or maybe tomorrow at the screening, but either way, our next one, and we're really pumped for this. So this true. took, this I think is the most truly collaborative, like brutal thing we've ever done together. It killed us. It all, it truly did. And both of us at different points tried to back out. And the other one, Thankfully, usually we are pretty balanced in our own personal highs and lows. Mm -hmm. uh, lately, it's kind of just been lows. But, <laughs> big, um, lows yeah. big lows. But we started talking about years ago trying to pair Project X with something. Uh, and it took us, what, truly at least five months of pretty consistent back and forth and uh, trying and retrying and then agreeing and then disagreeing and then almost like truly coming seconds away from calling it. Uh, well, we came so close to just being, this is just ended. <laughs> but thankfully we kept each other honest and we kept pushing and yeah, truly uh, just went, so hard <laughs> finally landed on we well, were the full program but what sorry well we should say that there was a reason we had to try so hard to figure this out it wasn't that we were just trying to challenge ourselves for the fun of it yeah so basically what happens when they put in when music box does 70 they could technically still do 35 but they put it in the big screen right and so it would look ridiculous and small and floating it'd be like when amazon prime uploads like a vhs rip that's in like an anime aspect ratio <laughs> on your television uh and so you can't really show 35 so yeah they were they were like you can do an august show but it has to be digital and the 35 is down right now in the small theater so yeah, they were like, yeah you can do it and initially we were like, let's just come up with movies that you can't actually get prints of or that we're at peace with showing digitally, which we, I guess we shouldn't say that because we'll probably do that double bill later. But we yeah. came up with one that we came to peace with being digital, which thank God it didn't work out, honestly, because it's stupid of us to give in on that one. Um, yeah, that would have the forces of the world stopped us from doing that. Yeah, which is good because that also wouldn't it, it would have bombed. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we were like, all right, why not focus our attention on movies that were never meant to be shown on film? Yep. Um, and see what we can come up with. And so we were like, oh shit, we can finally do Project X because we've been batting it around for so long. Foolishly thinking, cool, we'll finish this in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That was the longest, like, back and forth about something. It, I mean, it really it felt A thousand like texts, at least, between the two of us. Just trying to nail this down. And we knew that we had to, it had to, at one point, derive out of Project X. Yeah. 
like that had to be the starting point and we had yeah. to find something to either antagonize or compliment or both hopefully uh that movie um and we had lots of ideas that seemed like they should have been good ideas at the time i mean speaking digitally i knew that when we said that it would have been fun to do something like pair that with Abbas Karastami's tin because that's just digital but again at the same time it wouldn't make the same though they are both these kind of like documentary versus fiction it didn't make sense themat like thematically so it became this gigantic like like fuck how do we make this come together yeah um so what we've landed on is a film well a couple things we're going to be pairing Project X with a fantastic, truly fantastic documentary called Wildwood, New Jersey by Ruth Leitman. Leitman? Leitman? Leitman, I assume. I don't know. We'll find out soon once we speak to each other. Yes, yes. Uh, Ruth will be there presenting. Yeah, Ruth is coming, our first filmmaker guest for a highs and lows ever in history. We've talked about it a lot. We almost invited Tamara Davis for Billy Madison, Phantom of Liberty. Um, but we never actually had taken that step because we wondered if it would work with the idea. Um, and this is a perfect one to do it with, I think, because there's so much to talk about. And if you have not seen Wildwood, you will be fucking stoked mm -hmm. to hear from one of the people who did this insane project. And if you have seen it, you are already stoked to hear from one of the people Awesome and very excited. Um, so we're gonna watch Wildwood, New Jersey. No, fuck you, froze again. God damn it. <laughs> ah, there you are. All right, <laughs> I thought you the timing of your no, I said, and then we're gonna watch Project X, and you said no, and I was <laughs> like, what? I thought we okay, no, we're not actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're going to do Wildwood, New Jersey and Project X. And it's going to be really fucking cool. We both, because uh, part of this one, since it was such a fucking challenge to pair it correctly, and especially thematically, we both tried this together. Um, you know, and it's great because I've watched Project X four fucking times in the last two months. <laughs> now. Too much Project X. But... Too much Project X. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we're going to do that. And we're going to have some surprises uh, in the pre-show will actually be an entire other short film, but another short film that's really going to set the stage for yep. wild New Jersey. And then after um, project X, and this won't be on the website. So we're just telling you now. Yeah. After the last X, time we say it. Yeah. If you want to stick around, we are going to show you another movie that almost was in the slot of Wildwood, New Jersey. Thank yeah. God it wasn't. This is the way to do it. But so technically this is. And then you're gone again. Oh, now you're back. Okay. So Will's a little frozen. I think what he was about to wait, you moved. I can still hear you. Weird. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so as Will was saying, yes, there will be other things. There will be something before it, and there will be something after uh, that is uh, derived out of another idea we had to pair this with. 
So we won't tell you what the the final movie is because legally there's issues with that. So we have to keep it. We will tell you that after going down quite a rabbit hole to see if we could even book that one, I found out that the current legal owner of this last movie, which will be very funny once you know what it is, the current legal owner of it is the franchise known as Chicken Soup for the Soul Enterprises. So the people, the intense, crazy Christians who write those books own the last movie we're going to show you, which is unreal. That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It also took a lot to to get there. To find well, they that. probably just want to keep it under lock and key. I just, They probably don't know they own it. That's <laughs> well... Let's just say it derived from my idea that we should pair Project X with Gang Tapes, which... Gang um, Tapes is a great movie still. Great movie, great movie. Watch it at home if you want, but there's a really, there's a really, really, really rough scene that we both forgot about um, that would have really fucked this night up. So Yeah, it's deeply unpleasant, and I know... Go- the conversation that follows actually might be even worse than the scene. Yeah, I don't know if it's like offensive, but it's like oh, it's it just rough. Not, it's tough. It's rough, and it would not have gone well. Um, I was say it would have been another another decision making by us, like when we decided to show you naked with liar liar, and thought people would come out in droves. <laughs> yeah, it's somehow more unpleasant than naked because it's yeah. one scene, whereas naked features a lot of that, except naked is just you can't it, it, it transcends that this would not have uh, worked so well but that's all right we figured that out quickly and it led us to something even more beautiful so yeah. anyway as well as saying that august showing on august 15th the day before my birthday whoop, whoop. um is gonna be just a fucking unreal highs and lows it's gonna be unlike if this keeps going, we can promise we'll do more shit like this. That is more than just one and one doubles. So, um, and then after that, September, which is, I guess, as far as we can announce up into this point, we have one of the things we're probably most excited about. Well, that one's not technically booked yet. Should we still do it? Yeah, well, it'll get more. Yeah. Yeah. Because we love you. We've been gone for a while. Um, so the September one, which is, does not have a date set yet, so stay tuned, because uh, this one, if you are doing it right and you're a real cinephile in Chicago, this one should go sell fast. And that is going to be pairing the fantastic Hong Kong film by Ringo Lam, Prison on Fire, with a very fantastic remake of a classic 70s film that I think is controversially better than that. And that is the 2002 John McTiernan Rollerball. Yep. So you want to know how those connect? Oh, it's going to be insane. Do you want to know how Slipknot relevant to Hong Kong? Not only is this like a dream for us to show Rollerball, because we've talked about it a lot on this show. Um, this is the first time, well, not the first time, but hopefully this will start a wave of us getting to do more Hong Kong stuff. And if you support we us, like it. <laughs> we like it. And you all will like it too if you haven't seen it. And I just, well, you know, we're not going to harp on giving us support, but support us and 
baby, we'll take you take you to some beautiful places that the repertory scene doesn't either know where to go to or won't go to. So anyway, we'll dangle that carrot in front of you. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Are we going to do the mask first? Yeah, let's. Uh, why don't you uh, talk about Hiroshi Tashigahara? Oh, we're gonna do face first. Oh wait, did, oh did you? Oh, <laughs> when you said the face, I was like, yes, <laughs> the mask of another, the face of another. <laughs> sure, I can. I can. Yeah, let's let's. Uh... Well, here, if we want to do mask first, I can, uh, do. You want me? I'll just talk about the comic book. We'll start there. Yeah, talk about the comic book. All right, so the, start. So the mask. Absolutely everything. Um, Please start start that over. You just it cut out. Fuck, man. Um, I, know, I know. The mask came in the year that was the year that solidified Jim Carrey as a literal world superstar um, with uh, Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura as well. All three happened in the same year, which is fucking crazy. But isn't that wild? Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. It was a good. It was a good time to be what we were like seven. It was a good time to be seven years old. Well, Batman Forever is just around the corner too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But so, um, yeah. So Jim Carrey's having this insane year, and uh, there is there'd been a thing being kicked around for a while. One of uh, Dark Horse Comics, coolest comics, I think, uh, The Mask, uh, which is. It oversimplifies a little bit. It doesn't matter for this, but it's basically about a a mask that uh, this dude uses to raise an army of zombie teenagers to kill people and rip their faces off and then wear them. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And uh, in the early stages of this movie, the plan was that it was going to be about this Uh, still a Nordic mask, be about this Nordic mask that turned you into a a sociopath, basically serial killer. Um, So whoever put it on turned into just this, you know, fucking Jack the Ripper ass motherfucker, just tearing through people. And that's where the nice guy idea, the Stanley Upkiss idea comes from, of just this, you know, innocent dude trying to be nice, whatever, puts on this mask, starts fucking killing people, but doesn't remember it when they're doing it. So a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. Um, unleashing of the id. So unleashing of the id. And that was the plan. And that's why the studio hired uh, Chuck Russell to make this movie, who had only at that point directed two features, which was Dream Warriors. Yeah. Good work out the yep. gate. Yep. And following it with one of my favorite remakes of all time, the 1988 The Blob. Um, I love the blob. Well, it's I, I love, incredible. It's one of I the mean, nastiest, like most mean spirited horror movies that came out of the mainstream ever. Also, absolutely. And Dream Warriors and the Blob are really nice setups for what he, because it does seem like a guy that was like a producer, mainly guys producing. I mean, because it's like I was reading, he was he's from Chicago. He got to start in Second City, and then he became a producer. I think for a long time, like he did that uh, Indiana Jones r- uh, rip off uh, with Dennis Quaid dreamscape. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, um, he did that. He produced that. He produced um, the hearse. What? Uh, really? Yeah. He produced hell night. What? Yeah, he did. Uh, <laughs> even um, girls just want to have fun and back to school. Wow. So true. Uh, 
artiste, but his first director is right after he did produce Back to School, and that's the Dream Warriors, and then Fallout the Blob. Now, as you're saying, like those really do set up nicely for the mask because it's like they both kind of have macabre humor attached to them. Well, and there was a lot more like with that original idea, of course, of course, it makes sense. The studio was like, get this dude who knows how to do goop, who knows how to do like really uh, like interesting lighting, who loves color gels, who loves, clearly loves Argento, which that survived in the mask. We'll get into that. um, Absolutely. And he's like, I mean, because the mask is basically just Freddy Krueger. Yeah. If you think of it that way, you know, he's doing fantastic. Everything he does in the Dream Warriors, you could see the mask doing to somebody. Yep. Yeah. But um so they they that's the idea. It's gonna be this really dark R-rated um strange movie. And Jim Carrey comes on and they they meet him. Chuck Russell meets him. Chuck Russell also wrote those first two movies he directed to. Dream Warriors famously has a lot of writers, but he's one of them. Um but uh so he meets Jim Carrey, they start doing this, and they're like, This can't it can't be like this, he's too good. <laughs> we have to the way that like legend goes is that there was going to be a lot more cgi used uh in the movie as well to contort the face and to do all that shit and they're like oh jim carrey's face just does this already uh, <laughs> like they you know that's uh but yeah so anyway they meet him and they're like he can just do all of this but also this isn't going to work being this dark with him as this killer so let's go a different direction, take out the serial killing, uh, take out some of the, I'm sure sexual violence that would have been there too, because the blob also has a really crazy thing on that front. Um, they still get a little sexual violence in there. Oh, it's still, it's still, it's still, uh, someone still gets a car part rammed up their ass. It's still, it's still lurking. Um, but yeah, so they kind of change everything and then it becomes, what you end up seeing uh which is still really dark just not as directly i guess and certainly not rated r um but this is still like a really really macabre movie um all over the place well it might be darker now especially like it might look darker outside of the 90s because uh as you, as you longtime listeners know, 1994 was the big uh, we're asleep year. You know, we're not going to notice certain things. And the mask was just seen as like more uh, kind of disposable entertainment. It was like, oh, look, another fun Jim Carrey. He's doing wild stuff. He's got the does the Tex Avery wolf face. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, the mask is one of those movies that does feel a little hacked apart like not as much as it should though no not as much as it should and i do think that that is because of jim carrey and a star they didn't even know they had yet cameron diaz who came in after anna nicole smith dropped out which god damn give me that alternate cut though (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is funny but 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 now we get cameron you know, coming out of the leaving the Skinamax world and uh, coming straight to the mainstream. And now she's a huge star, like, yep. bam, overnight. Blew the fuck up. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, obviously Jim Carrey continued 
down his his path too and I mean, I think it lost, weirdly enough, I think it lost its one Academy Award nomination, Best Visual Effects, to Forrest Gump. (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) Well, someone's got to lose in the Clinton years. (laughs) I mean, another another part of this movie that I think is interesting, and we put it in the the write-up a little bit on the website. is a kind of character that doesn't necessarily work that well anymore um, without any questioning, which is the, you know, it's where Green Day's song Nice Guys Finish Last comes from. <laughs> uh, but it's very much that kind of shit that just like, oh, this poor guy, he's just so nice and nobody's fucking him. And, you know, it's... He'd be he so is- nice to you. He would never probably stop having sex with you after a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. And it's that kind of thing, which is this like, quote unquote, nice guy who just, you know, literally drools staring at every woman who walks down the street and has these crazy fantasies about them, but will still open the door for them. And, you know, would never, would never hit on a woman. Dear God. Oh, no, because he he doesn't have the confidence to. Yeah. So he's really, it's it's a, the one time Jim Carrey played a, a strange, strange form of an incel, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, well, Ed, yeah, the Riddler. Well, that's a diff- that's a whole different beast. Yeah, that's a gay incel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. gay incel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so it's um, that was kind of one of the jumping off points when putting these two together. Uh, was because one of the details that we'll get into that I hadn't heard a lot of people talk that much about. They do now more, which is good, but uh the fact that the main character in the face of another is such a fucking prick, just a mean fucking prick after his accident. And the fact that Jim Carrey's character, as soon as he has confidence, right. As soon as his, it is loosed is this wild, filthy, you know, as you said, Tex Avery Wolf, Alan motherfucker. <laughs> no. Yeah. He, he's uh, all fear dissipates and he becomes you know, whoever he truly is so much so that when the main character in the face of another is before anything's even happened, he's completely in like obsessed with the idea that his wife won't fuck him because of the way he is. And then has to go about like pretending to be a different person with a mat with a fake mask to try to seduce his wife. And I mean, great, like, it's a great Again, idea. I don't hear that much talked about directly anyway. We all know it, but one of the funniest things about, you know, cis dudes yeah. is how fragile it all is. Yeah. And this is an, a great, you know, other side of the coin moment where on one hand, presumably we don't know him before, but presumably the character in the face of another was a, you know, confident dude uh, sexually prior to his accident before his face was damaged and Jim Carrey's character um, was completely unconfident until, you know, his face has changed. Yeah. But that as soon as, you know, the, this, this gift or curse has been given to them, how fucking gross and shitty they are. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's, this is a, a really good dog. 
Like it's uh it's shocking because it sounds it's it's really, really obvious yeah. in a lot of ways. And that's one of my favorite things when that happens with highs and lows, is that it's really obvious. But this one especially, if you stay for both films, I think you'll be shocked. Uh how not obvious a lot of this is uh, that these two movies are doing um, with each other and the way that they talk to each other and uh, the mask, the way that it uses both these movies don't exist without the art that came before them, which is something I also hadn't thought about that much until we were writing that capsule. Um, And that in the mask, it is the world of Tex Avery, you know, the world of the Looney Tunes uh and that sort of stuff that kind of art style has to exist and also horror films since we're talking about chuck russell the strange truly like it's straight out of argento's inferno the lighting in his apartment when (laughs) when the mask is coming it's amazing oh Um, totally but the mask doesn't exist without the art that it comes from and the face of another doesn't exist without um you know fucking francis bacon at every turn marcel duchamp at every turn oh god Uh, i mean this one other is every frame you can pause and find a reference to a different just incredible uh integral artist throughout history and it works perfect for the series too because (laughs) in theory those are the highs and lows of the art world you know yeah that exactly it 100 i mean it yeah both are both are kind of responding to big cultural artistic pushes you could look at everything will is saying is spot on but then you could even think of like like stylistically uh you have you know the rare pop of the like the zoot suit uh, big band craze that briefly popped up in the early mid 90s with brian's fucking sets or orchestra cherry popping daddies all this shit squirrel nut zippers and like, put a put a squirrel nut zipper song at the end of this <laughs> I, mean, I think i will and there's like weird zoot suit thing that we loved it was, it was perfect for the mask because it like it got they were able to explore the literal tex avery wolf who wore that fucking zoot suit so it responds to like the tex Avery-ness, this revitalizing of this like 1940s aesthetic and then what we'll say in face of another all these modernist art movement postmodern whatever you want to fucking say happening around 66 67 i mean the 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 way they show the doctor's office is like something off of like a fluxus stage or something it's like uh it's it's so minimal and the the music especially the the score uh by uh toru uh takamitsu uh one oh, of the greats uh legend yeah a legend i mean he did a lot of uh he did like uh stuff for nagisa oshima he did uh quite dawn he did uh he did some stuff for akira kurosawa even but was also known for these incredible uh music concrete uh pieces one called corona corona suite which is just a a masterpiece of uh modern composition and uh so it, it it's really suffused with all this like stuff uh with the world just on the brink of changing um in the in the late 60s and the face of another even more so than probably his more famous woman in the dunes i think uh just really both great movies but uh the face of another is is really something special that i i do think audiences will 
really, really like. But if you're listening to this going in, please just keep in mind the mask is zany, fast-paced. It barely can keep up with its script. It's just moving, moving, moving. Face of Another is not boring by any stroke of the imagination, but it's black and white. It's slower moving. But it's but it's formal techniques are where they match on that level. Exactly. And it's I think it's part of why one of the things that kept it from being a success, because um, Hiroshi Shigahara blew the fuck up with Woman in the Dunes, right? Yeah. Like everyone's like, holy shit, this is the best Japanese new wave movie. He's better than everybody, <laughs> you know? Yeah, Roger, people, Ebert's, Roger Ebert's praising it, so it's getting yeah. like big, main, relatively mainstream push. People are going insane, and uh, Pitfall also, yep. great response. People loved it. And then this movie happens, Face of Another happens, and it did not do well. Um, and one of, the, one of the theories people have for it is that one, he threw too much in. And so if you're talking about the formal stuff, this truly has like when you when you're watching stuff from a new wave from any country, right? Like the 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 formal fuckery is like one of the things that is so interesting mm-hmm. that people are either tearing down or rebuilding um with how you make movies and the language of how you tell a story in movies. And this one truly moment to moment uses everything you can possibly imagine, um, but none of it without crystal clear intent, I would say. Um, oh, but people, yeah. like, for whatever reason, didn't respond to that as much. And also part of the problem is uh, people think that why it didn't do well internationally is that it was not uh, that. I mean, the term you would use is that it wasn't, orientalism right like there wasn't that strange otherworldly thing where like these u.s art house audiences are going to see something like woman in the dunes and they're like wow japan <laughs> even though you know it's a fucking desert it could be in sonoma <laughs> it doesn't you know it doesn't matter but the fact that this is firmly set in the modern world of japan seemed to turn off quite a few people um but yeah the I, I do think it matches the energy. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't really think about that, but you're right. There, yeah. it's the only of the three that isn't set in some like otherworldly thing where people can like get off on the 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 different culture aspect as much. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah I know. I do see what you're saying because it's like a lot of that. A lot of these Japanese movies were based off of like legends, uh, stories of the past, and. Yeah, you know, people are loving Kurosawa films at the time. Yeah. They're love. I mean, all of them. They're loving Oshima, Suzuki movies, all this shit. But typically, the ones that are not set in a world they know already. Yeah, and like people weren't as excited to watch someone in the reality of Japan at the time. Even uh, though, of course, this isn't reality. Like the way he shoots this fucking movie. <laughs> I mean, how many dudes? silently connected with that main character in japan and we're like i hate this movie <laughs> and, and yeah, like, he's a real fucking cunt like we said uh as soon as this accident happens to him and his face is deformed he is truly like one of the most acidic just like mean fuck dudes who will not listen to anyone like obviously his sweet partner 
who's like trying desperately to make him feel okay. Even his boss, like at work, he's just such a fucking prick to everyone. <laughs> but it, it, but it, it's kind of funny. Oh, it's very funny in that way that like I consider Fassbender's Martha one of the funniest movies oh, I've ever seen. Yes. In yes. the most blackest, and mm-hmm. it's not like you're making fun of these horrible things these people are doing but it just how accurately it's displaying these horrible people yeah um and I like how simply like that it's not yeah. grandiose at all it's just funny that like he walks into his boss's office and like may as well slap him in the face for telling him he's allowed to smoke in there like he's just <laughs> such a dick <laughs> yeah. yeah and in and, and stylistically and uh thematically i think it also really uh for its time, I think, like, if you've seen something like uh, Oshima's um, uh, Diary of a Shinjuku Thief, these oh. are these are similar movies that are just, like, they're almost so mired in these formal ideas they're trying to put forth because that was the big, that was the big burst then. It was, like, break the, break the, the traditional, mo- like, the traditional um, structures that you have to film like uh like the uh, tradition of quality or whatever you know the french wrote about it's like japan was like more than almost any of the other new waves around the world japan was really trying to take these formal uh lessons they were learning from people like godard and so forth and pushing them to their uh to their extremes i think and uh doing it in a way that is less um like some of these Italian movies that try it and they're just, they're wild, but they're fever dreams. Then it doesn't really come together, but you're like, it's just wild to see a movie like this. And that's cool. Yeah. These movies that we're talking about, these Japanese films from the late sixties are really formally sound. Oh yeah. And it's in it, 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 similar. It made me think of two things about the fact that this one failed so badly. Uh, it made me think of it one of my favorite Nagisa Oshima movies, also Japanese summer double suicide, which similarly is or not a fantastical world at all. Yep. It, is, it is like these crazy weird kids who just want to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> they just want to get high and lay on concrete, like, you know, in a spiral. <laughs> like, people did not respond well to that because there was that, there was zero escapism, but what's so wild is the, the, what you're seeing on screen is so beautiful every single frame in face of another that it should be escapism because it's so different from how anyone sees the world but that's why these movies are so fucking cool is to do that but somehow root it in a brutal reality that everyone can recognize that's really harsh really fucks with your you know head and heart while you're watching this kind of stuff and it's just so fucking refreshing Absolutely. And speaking of double suicide, it also has Tori Takamitsu doing a score to that. It also is like what we we're saying there. It's like things that would make into Pinku films that you're like, I guess I'll watch this brutal fucking people who want to kill each other and die and rape each other. But now there's no nudity. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, very little. And we've taken this like to, uh, a black extreme of um of of especially men at that time another movie sing a song of sex you know <laughs> yes. they're really trying they're great comedies about dudes in japan going around unchecked just yeah it's all, it's all 
Yeah. Like this whole culture changing where for a long time, and again, that's why, even though, you know, I, I imagine you'd agree, but even though I'd argue that Kurosawa is also more complicated and isn't just like telling these stories about like awesome old dude heroes. He's oh, also totally. things, but these movies come in a time where for the first time in a, in a while in Japan, dudes aren't just not only allowed, but are no longer celebrated for acting this way <laughs> and for Absolutely. doing whatever they want and treating women like dirt. Um, you know, they're being questioned on that stuff. And dudes did not like that strangely. And I'll keep that in mind when you're watching this movie too, because a lot of times I think why this one might even, even though I don't think it's the best of the three of uh, Shigahara's big ones. Um, it's my favorite because of the comedy, because a lot of people watching this movie are just like, Oh my God, the monologues are just like, so up their own ass and like, so highfalutin philosophy. And I'm like, no, but he's making fun of that. Like yeah. he was ridiculing that, you know, it's a great example of what we talked about on the episode earlier of how to actually poke fun at dudes who have been accepted as the only smart ones for a long time in society that's how you make fun of fucking philosophers or artists is you actually understand and then tear down their work while actually you know using the good things that they did maybe have to say <laughs> yeah it's better than calling it it's problematic yeah and uh if you want to know our thoughts on that <laughs> check out out the other episode check out the other episode only available on patreon uh but um yeah it's i really hope people stick around for this one because like again this really gets closer than we probably have with probably since our first run of this of like how deep we want to thematically link these movies mm -hmm. and um this was another one that just proves why we have to do this together because it's like yeah i agree that face of another or uh uh yeah, um mask without a face and the mask eyes without a face. <laughs> eyes without a f i haven't left my apartment in like 30 days people <laughs> i'm a little afraid uh eyes without a face and the mask had similarities but as i told will i was like i know you we could we could cook harder yeah we, could, we, could we were harder. and we were you know the 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 true honesty when we have these conversations that one automatically does better that one tells us more tickets because not friend you at large but that friend you movie has been hip as fuck for 15 20 years now right you know yeah. like it's a it's a movie that uh people who aren't necessarily into movies know about or have seen pictures of are interested in. Um, and so that sells more tickets automatically, but we knew that we should push it a little further. And I think it even surprises both with how much truly these movies talk back and forth. And even like one more thing we were, so we talked about how the mask changed once Jim Carrey came on. What's really cool about the face of another as well is that, Toshigahara wrote this with Kobo Abe, who wrote the novel. Like he did the all three of those movies, they did it together. But this one, when they really started getting to the weeds, they changed it a lot. Because in the book, um, which of course, if you haven't read Abe's shit, you know, read it all. Oh, yeah. one, one of the, just an astonishing writer. Um, but in the in the book, Face of Another, the doctor character is really not a character. He's barely there, really um and in this oh it's wild 
He's barely there. He does not have much dialogue. He's really just there to be like the plot point to get it going, to like get him to do this face. Um, and so Abe and Toshiga Hark came up with like kind of this foible to the main character from the book, uh, being the doctor and gave him a lot more to do and a lot more to rub up against. Um, and most importantly, which also does not exist in the novel, gave them this crazy sequence at a very importantly uh, noted German beer hall um, in this movie. Because in the novel, they go to it, it says they go to a beer hall, but it's never, it doesn't specify anything about it. So when they made this movie, they add that. And then they also add, I won't spoil too much because I haven't seen it, but the subplot in this movie about the woman and the basically directly linking it to Nagasaki, the fact that they add that and then they make this a very clearly German beer hall with a very well-known symbol for the Nazis. Um, that's where a very important conversation happens in this movie. Also where the composer is in the background. You can see him being cute. Very cute. Uh, cute man. He was so he was such a babe. Yeah. Uh, the, again, why this double is so much fun. If you want to keep going down the rabbit hole, famously, it is said that uh, Hitler's rise to Nazism began in a beer hall, began in a conversation in uh, a beer hall. Ooh. And if you think about that and think about what really starts to happen with this character and this new face that he is inhabiting, what really starts to happen once they go to that German beer hall is pretty wild. Yeah, I, I I did not connect that. I did not make that connection. I mean, I, I so much. Wow, <laughs> so much. I mean, the German beer hall. Me, I was like, oh yeah, Nazism. But I didn't. I yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, no, it's a packed movie. Like it's all packed with so much stuff. And, uh, and the mask know. really is too. In its own way, it really is too. Yeah, it is. It's it's. Oh, we're not gonna like. Okay, no one's gonna come away from it being like. The mask was deeper to me. The mask really touched me. No. But you might come away being surprised that that really fucking fun time that the mask is ain't just as simple and cute as you thought it was when you were dressing up like it in first grade for Halloween. Yep. You're going to be like, I didn't think the fried bananas we got for the average ab ab like appetizer were going to stick in my mind nearly as much as the filet mignon but you know what i'm still thinking about both <laughs> that's what this kind of double bill is <laughs> the appetizer fucking slapped it wasn't the main course but it was good as hell <laughs> and it's certainly better than uh fucking what's his face jamie kennedy's son of the mask that's not a movie <laughs> yeah i don't know if that's a movie either uh but um <laughs> that's some painting but do you remember the do you remember the mask video game for Super Nintendo? Oh yeah, it's in the don't worry, it's in the pre-show. Oh good, 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 good. <laughs> I um I was reminded that uh in the mask animated series that came out later, which I remember watching a lot of, um, it also came out at the same time as the Ace Ventura series. And I didn't know this, I apparently didn't watch enough. They have a crossover. And there's a Dumb and Dumber animated series. Oh, I, knew, I remember that. I wonder if they all, all three. That's part of what's so insane is not only was Jim Carrey in all three of those movies in the same year, in the same year, they all also got greenlit for animated series that he was not involved 
just madness. Like he, tr- it's one of the like most meteoric moments. Like 1994, just oof, what a time. Do you think we'll get a mask sequel one day? Because the reason I ask is, here's a piece of news we didn't talk about. We'll just mention it because we don't need to go into it. John Carpenter might be making a sequel to The Thing. Yeah. Why? Enough said. Uh, The Fairley Brothers might be getting back together to do a what they consider a proper follow-up to Dumb and Dumber. Uh, Jim Carrey is not at the place he used to be, and 90s nostalgia is at a height where you can just make this shit and it will probably make your box office for you. But man, if they really, uh, if they just really finally gave us a movie as brilliant as we know they secretly have inside of them. Uh, yeah. Just imagine if we get a Dumb and Dumber sequel that literally has zero throwaway reference jokes to the others. I don't think we'll ever get that, but, but I like to fantasize about it. I do too. I mean, I, I miss, I like, I miss I, that in sequels so, so deeply, not having to fan service jokes. I don't know if we'll ever rid ourselves of that. I think that's the the great uh, uh, fungi spore that came out of like Judd Apatow style comedy. Yeah, and, I mean, well, it's been it's been there forever. Yeah. Sure, we're gonna go back to my buddy Francis the Talking Mule. Those movies, even they all make jokes about the one before. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But that was like back when it was like cute. Now it's like it's now the you can't write a comedy unless it follows these guidelines. Yeah, and that's probably why we don't have any American comedies anymore. That's why they just do not exist in our current system. But I will say this: Chuck Russell still working. Uh, oh yeah here so after the mask he does one of my favorite of the bad schwarzenegger movies eraser fucking love eraser eraser end of days are very fun even though end of days is so sadly peter himes directed uh oh right right yeah um (laughs) it's still good um but those two are i think just really really fun eraser is so much fun yeah like you have a blast to watch it damn i might watch that later shit um but then next one too i don't remember this one as well so maybe you can talk on it i know i saw bless the child but i i think i got it mixed up with that um i got it mixed up with that sam raimi movie that came out around the same time with kate blanchett which one is it simple plan? Wait. No, it's not simple plan. It's um it's oh, oh, the gift. The gift. The gift. Yes, yes, yes. No, this is very this is a lot trashier. Um it doesn't bless the child is too long and it doesn't work fully, but you know, of course, as a little, as many were, I wanted just to be as near to Christina Ricci as I could in any opportunity. So that's why I saw this movie when yeah. I was young. But it's um if you if you're feeling nostalgic and you want something trashy, it's a great fucking time. Everyone's great in it. Angela Bettis is amazing. Kim Basinger is you know doing. I know people don't agree with me when they say this, but I really only mean it with love. She's doing her amazing like dead eye performance 
style that I really love. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's good. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. You get you get my man Jimmy Smits. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome too. Yeah, just wait till we show Switch, motherfuckers. God damn. Just wait. Um, yeah, it, it's it's I, I you know what? Maybe I'll revisit that one because I certainly <laughs> remember his next one. Yeah, which is also, I will say, yeah, way more fun than it should be. I'm not gonna go out and say like this is secretly a, a really good movie by any stretch at all, but as far as that sort of shit goes, it moves, it has pacing, and he knows at least what to do with a star. <laughs> That's what I will say. That's why the Scorpion King doesn't make me want to open my veins. Yeah, it didn't either, but it was like, you know, I uh, got to see them shoot the Scorpion King. I was uh, my uncle, uh, my now dead piece of shit, though he showed me a lot of cool stuff, uncle. Uh, but yo, yeah, for listeners, my uh, my Hollywood or uh, what's the fucking called entertainment tonight, uncle, his house, uh, which he lived right next door to Flea. <laughs> um, I watched a bonfire with once. Um, I know, but uh, the ba- backyard was this like hill, and we were up there one day, and he was like, You should look over the back, and they were shooting the scorpion king literally in his backyard. Uh, it was a bridge fight scene. That's all I remember. I know my one little window into this world when my the one rich person in our family decided to become an alcoholic and just hate everyone in the family. But in that brief period of time when I'd visit him, you know, I got to be somewhat. No, you know what? I'm not going to say it because I liked it, but I definitely did not consent to it. Uh, <laughs> Paul Abdul smooching the fuck out of my face while she was rolling on something, but kind of licked my cheek at one point. And uh, I think about it to this day. Yeah. In a pleasurable way. Yep. Um, but anyway, uh, you know what? Everyone, we're all allowed to respect each other. And if you had an experience like that and it was awful and you know, you want to call someone out for it, please do that. Feel free to do that. And we're not here to judge. We're here to empower and lift you. And then also we ask you to do the same for us. And that when I think about my two different bosses who coerced me into sexual relationships and I loved every second of it and wouldn't change a thing, you also respect that I think it was awesome. So yeah, that's all we ask. Just a little understanding. Yeah, with mutual respect, guys. We all we're all on a journey. Because <laughs> I'll tell you who'd like a little respect would be Chuck Russell. Because those next three movies are these are I've never seen them, but they're pretty. They seem very funny. So we'll rapid fire. 2016. So he hadn't made a movie for like, geez, that's a long time. Year directing break, and he returns with <laughs> something called "I Am Wrath." Yeah, which Johnny T and quite a haircut. This kind of sounds like a fun, like 70s revenge sleaze thriller or something. I bet it's not, but I am excited to watch this. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have to check it out now because apparently it was almost going to be directed by Friedkin with Nicolas Cage in it. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So we'll take a look at that for you. 
Wait, I love it. It's one of my favorite things when I'm rapidly scrolling through everyone who's in it, waiting for someone to pop up to be like, oh my God, this person's in it. This is one of those movies where that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, you're like, mm, I don't know these people. Rebecca DeMornay. <laughs> I remember Rebecca DeMornay. She's clearly not working a lot. So three years later, he returns with a movie not made in America. I guess he made a film for... India. I don't know if this is technically a Bollywood movie, but it's a Hindi language movie, and uh, what? it's called Jungli. That's Jungli. Yeah, that is sick. And even sicker is it is the one uh, India produced movie that's not three hours long. <laughs> and it's a cool one hundred and fifteen minutes. Yep. Oh wait, sorry. One hop back. We do. I do the one person that's associated with I am Wrath. The guy who shot it. It's Andre Sakula. Oh no! It. What? Yeah. yeah. So he shot that. So that's and if, if, you, if you don't know that dude, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, uh. masterpieces like Cube Two, Hypercube. That dude's got a good eye for really odd spaces. Truly, I mean that genuinely. Uh, so I'm excited to see what he's got for I am Wrath. Even better is Chuck Russell gets uh, he gets to be reunited with um, on Jungly his uh, the filmmaker who uh, shot the blob or the the, the the cinematographer Mark Irwin who shot the blob oh. with <laughs> yeah and there's and something Cronenberg yeah this is Cronenberg's fucking yeah. filmmaker okay like. Okay. It's crazy. I mean, you know, he did stuff like, I mean, most of the Cronenbergs, I think, up until The Fly, uh, he did the Not Bad uh, Fright Night Part 2 and the Not Bad RoboCop 2. Dude, Fright Night Part 2 is better than Part 1. We can fight about that another day. Uh, that's <laughs> wrong, but... Um, <laughs> uh, whoa, this is crazy. He, then, he also did, speaking of sequels, D2, The Mighty Ducks, he also did Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Dumb and Dumber, and Vampire in Brooklyn. Then did Kingpin and Scream, and there's something about Mary. Okay. So this is all relative, I guess. Did wow. Freddie yeah. fingered. Keep it in the family. Whoa. And then he just kind of like, so it looks like he kind of started, he started losing big jobs in around 2006 when he, uh, ended this crazy career shooting big mama's house two and deck the halls <laughs> what a way to go out damn yeah and then oh no he did that fucking um amanda Bynes snow white movie Sydney oh, that yeah that's wow. wild so wow. he did all these things santa paws to the santa pups damn so he really kind of hit hit the bottom there because he's just doing these things he's doing the the damien way and spoof dance flick oh that's not also not a movie it's not a movie <laughs> so yeah he he kind of yeah this was like him getting to go back to working with his old buddy chuck that's cool now i now i'm gonna have to see this fucking movie god damn that what a what a career and then we finally arrived at chuck russell's latest which i have seen an ad for this movie not knowing it was tied to the work we are doing, but it's him and John Travolta joined back up. And unfortunately one of Bruce Willis's final roles, um, this is a movie called paradise city from last year. 
I don't think I've seen this, but I thought <laughs> I haven't seen it, but <laughs> I want to see it. No, I'm going to see it. Our buddy, Steven Dorf in this one. That yeah. Blake Channer. Yeah. A real who's who of people uh, connected to uh, right wing people. Um, although I must say Blake Jenner, <laughs> Blake Jenner, you don't know him. But he's also the star of something we mentioned on a previous episode that I think you'll have to pay for when we talked about Everybody Wants Some. He plays the stand-in for Richard Linklater. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, damn. This is why you come to us. We're making connections. But yeah, there's a guy in Paradise City named Jock Armor, which is pretty cool. <laughs> That's he, me. He plays Gunman. <laughs> yeah, that was my role as Gunman part. Gunman one. <laughs> We would both we would both get kicked off uh, if we did extra work now because we would overact the shit out of it. We wouldn't be able to help it. Yeah. Well, I got cut out of my extra scene in uh, the Candyman remake. So, were you the bees? Yeah, I was one of the bees buzzing around him at the end of the movie in that <laughs> fucking CGI. Uh, that which, was really cool. Which was like it's funny to think about how people like to like shit on certain cgi at the time like people shitting on like the young will smith and jim and i man which is really not that bad of a movie um but we love to talk about the baseball one's way better the baseball one yeah baseball yeah. one is that shit called? billy lynn's halftime walk yeah that's a football is it there's no halftime in baseball you fucking <laughs> loser that's true <laughs> <laughs> if it was called seventh inning stretch <laughs> seventh inning stretch i'd be like yeah god damn wait yeah. now i want to know now i need to see what baseball movie i've had in place of billy lynn's long halftime walk in my head for this whole further fairly brothers shit you're thinking of fever pitch <laughs> that's probably it no, oh. I probably I imagine I just when I was like disassociating, trying not to like jump into traffic during Life of Pi, I probably fantasized a baseball movie directed by Angley. God, that fucking Life of Pi. The worst. Really I, bad. I'm we didn't sure. know how. <laughs> okay. So anyway, but my point was. So we'll end it here. But Chuck Russell is still working because he's might be doing, or I think he is doing. I think it's already been shot. A. Uh, a remake of uh, Witchboard. Fuck yeah. So his return, uh, his return to horror though. It might be fucking sick. I hope so. Uh, uh, deadline reported. Yeah. Let's see. Deadline reported on it. Casting's already been done. Jamie Campbell Bauer. Is that a person? I don't know. Huh. Says he intends to go beyond the original IP with a deeper storyline, high intensity scares, and imaginative visuals. Well, maybe we got a twenty million dollar budget. That's a lot more than he's he's been dealing with. So I think his budget. Yeah. Um. Okay. So maybe yes, it's very possible that uh, Mask Two could happen when this uh, Witchboard remake uh, just blows everyone's mind. Yeah. So um anyway. uh, one of the writers is the guy that wrote uh the wait, is this true? Yeah, who wrote The Night of the Demons from 2009 though. Oh. Well, it's okay. He was, he was just a writer, our our boy 
Our boy Chuck Russell can fix it. Yeah, as we know, writers are nothing. So <laughs> parody <laughs> joke. Uh, okay. Right. Well, well the, the last the last little thing I'll say about these two movies before we go that when I rewatched them together for this episode, that sounds silly, but what we talked about earlier is that neither of these movies exist without the art that they are from. And I thought it was an interesting exercise to think about rather than the, the literal masks in these movies, the masks that all of us put up ourselves through art and with art and while making art, you know, like I was, I was like, shit, it made me think about like trying to flex when you're a young up and comer in a, you know, film scene or music scene or whatever. And the way you try to present yourself through the things that you listen to or watch and all that. Yep. And both of these movies are about that too. And it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Metaphorically speaking. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. That's going to be the name of the episode. I think metaphorically speaking. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Highs and lows. Metaphorically speaking. <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Good. All right. Well, we love you. We'll see you soon.